Thanks for joining me on the Money Minutes today. Uh, very shortly, I'm going to speak with one of my very old mates, um, Andrew Baxter, Billy Baxter, uh, who has previously run some of the biggest advertising agencies in Australia, is considered one of the foremost experts on marketing and advertising in Australia. The reason I want to talk to him is because, in my opinion, while you're seeing right now the economic cost of the coronavirus really kicking up, especially in Victoria, and you saw that today uh, with the latest Bureau of Statistics jobs numbers coming out for July, where they basically showed that there's been a recovery in jobs as there's been an opening up of the economy um, after the lockdowns earlier on across the, the whole of the nation. Uh, The problem is Victoria, clearly. The number of jobs there fell 1.5%. That was ahead of those Stage 4 restrictions where there's likely to be another half a million people going on to some sort of JobKeeper allowance. The truth is that um, most of the jobs previously that have been lost in Victoria had been regained. Uh, But again, now, most of them are gone. Uh, This is accommodation, food services, arts, but it's pretty much right across the board. And so under those circumstances, and having lived through a recession... I know that some do struggle, some go to the wall, some people go broke, some people can't pay mortgages, but others during these periods actually do very well. They prosper if they can keep their cash flows going, if they can keep themselves in the right space in terms of their debts, they can actually go out and find the opportunities that will lie out there. Now, oddly, right now, the stock market and even the property markets to a certain extent Define the logic that in a recession, those things should fall in on top of each other. It would seem to me, at least anyway, that the stock market investors who are really pumping up shares right now are seeing something maybe that is beyond, if you like, seeing a vaccine for the coronavirus. In which case, then, of course, they're right. All bets are off. But that coronavirus vaccine might still be a very long way away. And we can see with the impact in Victoria that the economic hurt will go on for a long time. And at some point, the government will run out of ammunition to keep throwing at those people who are losing jobs. And that's when the real hurt occurs. But the other side of this is, have a look at Coles and Woolworth shares, new all-time records on the stock market today. So the big question right now is, if you run a business, if you even are working for a business, should that business right now be trying to find new markets? Should it be trying to expand? Because one thing I do know is that during recessions, you find yourself in a position where startups actually emerge almost out of the ground and they pinch big companies' market share. And that's because while they're out there looking for small niches, it's really about the fact that money talks. I think it's worthwhile asking a few questions because in any recession, as I've told you, 
some companies actually prosper. They do incredibly well. And you can already see that, say, for example, in many of the food and household goods markets uh, and online retailers, which during this profit reporting period are going to have results which are, you know, almost out of the park. And this is going to be contrary to the number of businesses that are going to close down in many other sectors. And of course, those that have got high street shops that can't open at the moment, those in hospitality, those in, in, in the leisure and tourism sectors are really going to struggle. Aviation clearly is another one. But there's a few things here also, because clearly right now, consumers feel as though they've got money in their pockets. And this is a reason why the impact of this recession has not yet been felt as severely as many might anticipate it will be. In my opinion, as I've always told you, the real impact of this recession is going to be felt in maybe two or three years' time, when ultimately governments really run out of steam in terms of being able to provide money into the pockets of those people affected. Now, on top of this, also bear in mind that Australian families have been able to get at least $10,000 and maybe $20,000 out of their superannuation fund. There are suggestions out right now that a lot of that money has been saved. Some 50% of it has actually gone into savings or offset accounts on their mortgages. But a large number of people have decided to spend that money. So I thought today it would be worthwhile thinking about this from the business perspective, looking at the way in which not only are there opportunities for those who market well and who present themselves well to consumers, but also the disruption that continues to happen as a result of coronavirus. The man I'm turning to is Andrew Baxter, universally known as Billy, a man who in his past career as a a very, well, a very handy cricketer, scored a very, very significant century against me in a grand final against Richmond very early days. still, It still has bad blood in my heart now. I think he was out early, but, you know, that's the way it was. I was bowling. He's a non-executive director of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, but he's perhaps best known as having been the chief executive of two of Australia's biggest communications agencies, Publicis and Ogilvy. But on top of that, he was also senior advisor to KPMG's customer brand and marketing business and is an adjunct professor of marketing at Sydney Uni. He joins me now. Billy, many thanks for your time. Ross, great to be here. Here, well, and uh, look, you know, don't want to bring the, too many of those memories back. I think I only made a half century. I think it was the, uh, one of my other colleagues who made the made the ton. So, uh, but yes, fond memories. I still re- I still remember it with with some great angst. Look, I, I wanted to get you on. I mean, we've known each other for a long time, so the conversation here I think is really quite fascinating because there is almost a parallel universe going on. On one stage, the stock market's going up, and every time governments announced new stimulus schemes to put more billions of dollars into the economy, the stock markets take off here in America, all over the place. And yet, on the other side of it, you're in recession when we know that there could be more than a million people out of work. In fact, it could be nearly 2 million people who are looking for work at that time. And so it almost runs contrary to the expected outcomes of what takes place when you do suffer a significant economic downturn. That's right. And what we're seeing with consumers out there is about 50% of consumers aren't really saying that they've been too financially affected. And as you said before, I think of those 50, half of them have actually saved money through this crisis. But on the other hand, depending on which research you know uh, you believe, about 20%, 22% are actually in, in quite severe financial difficulty and then the rest are sitting somewhere in between. So 
you know, for me, it's always about disposable income, and that's what you were hinting at before. I, I feel like there is this two-speed economy going on, and, and we do have a number of people who have still got, you know, a reasonable disposable income, albeit that they're saving quite a bit of it, and then you've got the other end of it where people are doing it really, really tough. All right, but the other thing that I note is really many of the trends that were occurring, particularly in retail, uh, and particularly around the whole issue of consumer goods, are almost being accelerated by the coronavirus and by the fact that people have been locked up at home. And quite clearly, one of those is digital disruption, the fact that people suddenly become used to the idea of either working and or shopping from home and having things delivered to them. And so it really is one of these points whereby people are almost becoming used to a new norm when it comes to consuming products. And that clearly, for any any company, any retailer, has got to be something they've got to be sitting up and taking serious note of. They do. And obviously, some of the retailers pivoted quite quickly. And, and if you look at China, for example, all right, I think when, when the pandemic first took off and Nike had to shut sort of 70, 75% of their stores, they really pushed a lot of their marketing toward online and their online sales went up significantly. What, what we're not seeing though is online sales taking, uh, uh, you know, picking up that gap that, that the, uh, the bricks and mortar stores are losing. So certainly those that have done better through this, I, I call most of the retailers, um, you know, I, I think there's three types of brands that have happened through this, but these are almost like your declining but surviving brands. Uh, Not not the supermarkets, because obviously they've done very well, but most other retailers who've got a presence, you know, a major presence in bricks and mortar, and then they've got online, you know, they're hanging in there because their online um, can do well. And I think there's two parts. I think the consumers, you're right, have gotten used to shopping online, particularly some of those older consumers that weren't quite sure and dabbled a little bit, but now they're a lot more confident. I also think a lot of retailers, who thought this whole online thing might be a bit too hard if they had huge volumes have actually realised that it's actually pretty good. And, you know, I spoke to a number, a number of friends of mine who CEOs in, in retail and, and they've been quite surprised at how much of how much uptake there has been and how they've been able to handle that uptake online, with online shopping. One of the things also is because the barriers to entry have now you know, significantly declined, you don't need to take out um, big leases with shopping centres to be a, uh, an emerging retailer. If you can really tap into that, um, uh, the, the millennial uh, effect, as they sometimes call it, if you can tap into that market, and these are brands that maybe people like me don't even know about. Um, you know, I'm, I often tell the, the great story about standing outside the uh, uh, the Burke Street Mall in, in Melbourne at 6 o'clock in the morning and seeing a line of about 120 people aged between, well, I'd reckon, 17 and 25 standing outside the uh, uh, a shoe store. And I'm sitting there, I walked, wandered across, asked them what they were doing, and they were there for the latest Yeezys. Now, of course, Kanye West might have blotted his copybook recently, but he's been one of the enormous retail powerhouses are unrecognised by people over the age of 35 or 40 um, over the last you know 10 years. And so really there are all sorts of brands that have emerged and influencers on Instagram, for example, have had a, an enormous effect on marketing and the way in which products are sold. And this in many ways, if older retailers and older business people are out there, they might not even be seeing this happening. No, they're not. And, and you're right, you're seeing so many great brands pop up. And if you think about it, I mean, the biggest one of them all is Amazon. It's, it's, it's been a pure play online retailer for a long time. Well, it's now opening its own stores and it's starting to take over businesses um, that have bricks and mortar. So it's going the other way and realising that you do need to have a balance of both. I think consumers uh, want that choice. Uh, it's a bit like when books, you know, online uh, books and Kindles came out 10, 12 years ago. We all thought we're all going to be reading 
uh, books, uh, you know, on a Kindle for the rest of our lives. But you, some people still want to have that feel of a book in their hand and some people want to read it uh, online. Same with how we consume our newspaper. So I, I think consumers will want choice uh, and you need to find that right balance for you. And, and I think, we, you know, we've seen, you know, like people hold up something, something like Jonathan Lewis is a great example where I think around 70, 75% is uh, bricks and mortar and the rest is online retail. But they've got a smaller footprint um, in the UK for John Lewis than has, for example, David Jones and Meyer here, who've got who've got more stores uh, and therefore more accessibility. And you've got to find that right right balance. And that's I think that's why you know Myron DJ's uh, online presence hasn't taken off as much. It's when if you're in the UK and you can't quite get to a John Lewis store, well then you're forced to start um, creating a habit of shopping online to get the things you want. Uh, and and I think uh, yeah that balance is is critical going forward. And, and, and we are going to see now uh, that consumers want to shop more and more online of all ages, not just the younger generation, but now the older generations as well. You've been through downturns before. You recognise, you know, the psychology almost of the chief executive and the chief financial officer in companies, and that is that, you know, they literally look at the marketing budget first when it comes to discretionary spending for a company to be able to cut back. The the issue right now for many of those companies is the decision they have to make as to how they can spend that marketing dollar smarter, whether they can actually market themselves out of a slump, uh, or indeed whether they simply take their foot off the off the pedal, as it were, and just put themselves to the to the mercy of whatever the market does. Is it is it different for different companies, or is it a case whereby most companies, if they really choose to, can be more innovative in the way in which they spend their marketing dollars to try and get themselves a, a better result? Look, it's funny. It is the easiest thing for CFOs and CEOs to cut. That is the marketing budget because it's normally one of the you know it's one of the biggest variable, easy to change um, budgets within the P and L. But what? The last lot of downturns has taught us, uh, whether that be the, the, the GFC or whether that be you know, the crash in 87 or you go back to world wars or even previous pandemics, that those that have invested in marketing, and, and this is a, a thing that I've spent my career you know, saying, marketing's an investment, not a cost. And, and that and there's a big difference. And those that have invested in marketing, and it doesn't mean you need to spend any more necessarily, but if you've invested in marketing during uh, these downturns, you've te- the research says that you come out the other side even better. So, um, you know, there, there's some great old stories about, you know, in the, in, in the 70s recession that, um, you know, Chevrolet dropped their, their advertising, um, well, well uh, uh, sorry, um, yeah, dropped their strategy of pegging advertising compared to sales and, and, and actually increased uh, what they were doing and Ford decreased theirs and, and out the other side, Chevy came out with a 2% increase in market share. And, and we saw that, you know, I think it's the iPod Mini, was launched, uh, you know, as a great R and D investment through marketing uh, during the two, you know, early 2000s recession. You had Kindle, um, Amazon went full court press on that in you know 08, 09 when it came out. So, you know, uh, we're seeing now, and there was a couple of articles about NRMA continuing to to market. Uh, I know with my chair of Australian Pork hat on, we've uh, we've continued to, to to do our marketing. If you can outpoint your competitors during this time, uh, all the research says that you will come out the other side with uh, with increased market share. But you know, it, it's, a, it's a pretty gutsy decision for a lot of uh, corporates to make, um, to hang in there and, and, and continue to either outpoint or outmarket your competitors. 
Because one of the real issues, and you made the observation earlier that people feel right now as though they've still got cash in their pocket. You know, people have had JobKeeper if they haven't had the work, and in many cases, some lower income families have actually felt the impact of having more money in their pockets. They've been able to access uh, up to $20,000 out of their superannuation funds, lump sums of money that many families have either A, needed, or B, would not normally have been able to get their hands on at, at a very short space of time. But just one issue about this, there's a little bit of a, you know, almost of a a siege mentality that it takes place. And that is if you hear the reports from even the Reserve Bank suggesting that one in 10 businesses now claim that if it weren't for their landlord, their bank or the government giving them some form of support, that they would be out of business. That's one in 10. Now, Deloitte says 230,000 Australian businesses could go to the wall during this economic downturn. So the siege mentality really is about, well... Could that be us? Are we one of those? Do we have to close down you know, and shut up really and be tight because of that? And again, if you hear that a million people are going to be unemployed, you go, could I be one of those people? I need to be defensive. That's really in many cases what chief executives and businesses are fighting against, isn't it? It certainly is. And and I think there are, I started mentioning before these declining but surviving brands, there are clearly booming brands that we, that we talked about, like supermarkets who have done very well through this and some of the food companies. But then there's these what I call hibernating brands, you know, and if I think about our airlines or uh, the tourism industry, I mean, a lot of restaurants that haven't been able to uh, find a way to do takeaway or, or home delivery, they're in effect in hibernation. I think these are some of the ones that are most at risk. Uh, and there's whole um, industries, uh, you know, the, the arts industry, obviously I'm on the Sydney Symphony Orchestra Board and and, and, and just looking at what's happening in, in the in that world, you know, nobody, nobody can comp- perform. Um you know, there aren't really too many other business models. We can do a little bit online, but, you know, so you've got theatre companies, operas, uh, orchestras. You've got uh, some of our top musicians that, that just can't tour. You can't even play at the local pub. So we've got entire industries that are at a huge amount of risk here. And I think they're the ones, as I said, they're in this hibernating brands bucket uh, where they they can't afford to open right now. Um, if they If they do, they're just, you know, trickling out, um, you know, a tiny bit of their business. So it's certainly going to be tough times. You're right, JobKeeper has propped a lot of these organisations up and I think it's been a great initiative. And, and, and I think it's even for some of the businesses doing okay, I think what JobKeeper's done is it's enabled those companies to keep employing some people that maybe they wouldn't have if JobKeeper hadn't come in. So obviously that in turn um, and creates some stimulus and some disposable income in the market. But I'm with you. I think we're we're in for a tough time. I can't see how the economy can operate at anything more than 80 to 85 percent of what it was before, purely on the numbers of people who are unemployed. Of you know, we don't have a tourism market, international tourism market coming into the country. A lot of people that were on short-term, you know, work visas obviously all went home. Uh, you know, when you start adding up those numbers, we are operating with a lot less people in our economy on a day-to-day basis. So what would you prefer to be running right now? Would you prefer to be running a large established brand or an upcoming emerging brand? Would you be preferring to be somebody starting up a business, trying to create a business during tougher times right now? I mean, I'm a bit of the eternal optimist. So I, I, quite, I, I quite like these times from a business point of view because I think it does give people to fast track ideas, uh, opportunities, entrepreneurial pursuits that they may not have gone after. So, so, so you know, and there's been some great stories about, uh, you know, terrific businesses that have come out of downturns, you know, where people really 
really double down their efforts and they've got the time to put their minds to something and, and, and really, really push it. So, you know, I, I'm, hope, I'm hopeful as that sort of optimistic type person that, that we can see some great businesses arise out of this. I, I think, you know, that the businesses that might be challenged are those bigger ones that, that, that are a little less agile uh, and can't move so quickly. Having, having said that, I, you know, I, I think some of our bigger businesses have been forced to change. I think our governments are making the fastest decisions they've made in many, many years. I think we're seeing a, a real change, uh, you know, almost on a daily basis based on uh, the different uh, states and, and, and restrictions. That They're making, you know, good, wise, fast decisions in the most um, that, that, that is also, I think, helping, helping the economy. Tell you what, it's always great to have a chat. And as I say, people can leave their comments and their own views about this as well. Um, Andrew Baxter, known as Billy Baxter almost universally to most people, uh, not only is he explained to you, the chairman of Australian Pork and on the board of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, the former chief executive of both Publicis and Ogilvy, two of Australia's largest communications companies. You can also read him occasionally in The Australian talking about the future of marketing, which he's talked about with us here today. And Billy, always great to have a chat to you and I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Ross. Great to be on. So here are some of the things that you should know going on today. Sydney Airport today said it will raise $2 billion from its shareholders. That's as a result of the lack of aircraft traffic and a lack of retail sales in the stores inside the airport. So they, of course, lease those. It's taking a, a toll on its performance. Now, the deal's apparently already covered. It's a 15.4% discount to their last traded price of $5.39. I mentioned earlier those Australian Bureau of Statistics jobs numbers for July coming out. Nationwide, that was steady. Victorian jobs fell 1.5%. But the sad part about it is there could be even more of it coming. New record high prices today for Coles, Woolworths and Domino's Pizza. You know what we've been doing during lockdowns, don't you? And also Miso Blast shares, one of the most hyped and also one of the most shorted stocks on the market, fell 31% over um, suggestions that the US agency, the Food and Drug Administration, has raised even more questions about the efficacy of its stem cell-based drug treatment for serious coronavirus patients. The shares in recent months have risen more than 300%. There's another hearing on this Thursday. Anyway, that's the Money Minutes for today. Thanks for your time. Again, always, your comments are most welcome. I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Units.